All right. All right, everybody, take your seats. This episode is all about rewards and consequences. Take your seats, please. Thank you. You are listening to the Change Academy podcast. I'm Monica Reinagel. And I am Brock Armstrong. And this is a show about creating the life you want by harnessing your ability to change. We bring our expertise in nutrition, fitness, cognitive behavior theory, plus our experience coaching hundreds of clients and coaching ourselves because we're all works in progress. Hmm. And we are so happy that you're here to join us. You know, in past episodes and in general, we tend to talk about how important it is to have a compelling reason or a really solid why. And we use those to, to keep us motivated Well, in general, but really when we're going through a slow, incremental kind of a change, it becomes even more important. And sometimes that compelling reason is a positive vision of the future that we want to create, like becoming a grandparent that can also roll around on the floor with the kids or retiring at 50 or 55 or something wonderful like that, or maybe becoming a non-smoker. But sometimes... It's actually a negative vision of the future that we want to avoid or get away from. Things like dying before we're able to roll around on the floor with our grandchildren or never actually ever having enough money to really retire or that you might die of lung cancer if you don't quit smoking. But in any case, today we're going to look at whether one of those is actually better than the other. Are there pros and cons about using either a reward or a consequence as a compelling reason? And we're, yeah, we're going to dive into that stuff. But like we always like to do, we're going to spend a little bit of time right now looking at some of the stuff that we're working on. But we also have a couple of great comments from our listeners out there that we're going to dive into and maybe add some coaching to as well. But Monica, you've got something you wanted to, to share, don't you? Yes. So I am working on relearning old lessons that I've already learned. (laughs) I have known for a long time that my life just works better when I am pretty much in bed at 10 o'clock most nights because I sleep better and I wake up earlier and I have more time to do all the things that I like to do before my workday starts that you know, make me feel good and and set me up for success and just kind of make me feel in control of my life. And for the longest time, I've been in a really good groove with that, just getting to bed early and enjoying the benefits of that. But for some reason, lately, I've been a little bit lax about my bedtime, just not paying attention, not following through with that. I think somehow in this time of pandemic when we're all at home, it almost feels like we're in some sort of time warp where it just doesn't even matter when we go to bed or when we get up or when we work. But of course, it does matter. At least it matters to me because I started to notice that um, I've been going to bed later and my life is not working quite as well. I'm not waking up as early. I don't feel energized when I wake up. I'm not I don't feel like I have time to do all those little things that I like to do before I sit down to my work day and I'm not feeling as in control of my life. And uh, so I have been going about kind of relearning that lesson that this is what it takes for me, for my life to work well. And, you know, it's not a, a tragedy. I solved this problem once I can solve this problem again. I know how to do mm-hmm. this, but I was just thinking how interesting it is that Sometimes when things are going really smoothly, when we're in a really solid groove, we can sort of relax a little bit, maybe even 
take it for granted and start to forget what went into setting up that flow. Or maybe we stop protecting that keystone habit that makes Mm. it all possible and things start to fall apart a little bit. So it's just a great reminder that we're never done changing, that this is an ongoing process. We don't just take action until we achieve something and then put our feet up. We have to keep paying attention. We have to keep being intentional about our choices. We have to keep taking action. We have to keep creating the change and the life Mm -hmm. that we want. So it's been a good reminder, good lesson. It's interesting, like you were saying, when something is going really well or something is, is just sort of you're just taking it for granted and it feels totally natural, I sometimes get the urge to just tweak it for no particular reason it just Ah. just it seems like okay well i've been doing this for a while i wonder what would happen if i changed this aspect of things and sometimes it's kind of eye-opening and exciting and other times it totally messes everything up and i'm like well why did i mess with that why am i fudging with things that are clearly working well but it's a good reminder sometimes to do that as well like you could look at that as being a bad thing or a drawback of some sort but You can also look at it as a great experiment in curiosity. Exactly. So as you mentioned, we did get some great notes from members of the Change Academy since since we were last together. Yeah, it's so fun getting the the comments. Usually there's a lot of them coming in on Facebook. If you guys aren't a member of our Facebook group, you can find us at facebook.com slash change A-C-P-O-D, change ACPOD. And um, yeah, so Jenny left us a really great comment on Facebook. And she said, thanks so much for the episode about creating a support strategy. After listening to it, I joined an online group for women powerlifters. <laughs> and it's so amazing to be inspired and supported in this group. It's really helping me with my mindset. I'm actually starting to look forward to my workouts instead of dreading them. Oh, that's golden. Workouts should be fun. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that is really the perfect outcome of creating that support strategy is just, you look forward to the workouts, you enjoy them more, you feel more rewarded from them. And you have this group of people you can celebrate it with. And powerlifting is so awesome, Jenny. I'm really, I'm, I'm jealous. I, I wanted to start doing some powerlifting now. And another one of the comments that we got on our Facebook page was from Dale. And Dale said, at 59, I found my why and with diet, mind and exercise reached my goal weight. For four years, I've maintained my goal weight with while living and loving my new life. But a couple of years ago, I started regaining. But your your podcast is perfect. I'm a huge fan and a faithful listener. I've restarted doing lots of journaling and the lab assignments, which we'll get to later. You've got a good one today. And curious for implementing my goals to get me to my sustainable, permanent objective. Oh, that's such a great note. Yeah, that's just two great successes on our Facebook page. So yeah, keep that stuff coming. Well, and what I'd like to point out about both of those successes is it's not one of those like goal attained, mission accomplished kind of success, but it's like the success of progress. It's the success of being Mm. engaged in the process and that that success starts as soon as you begin to engage in that process, it doesn't, it's not off in the future, in the distance somewhere where you reach some goal. So yeah, fun. and I, yeah, neither of them are done at this point. It's not like, thank you, I've completed my mission. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> now I can unsubscribe and <laughs> away I go. Right. No, it's... 
Well, so great stuff, Dale and Jenny. Thank you for for your messages. So let's jump into our discussion today. I've had so much fun thinking about this this week. And the question is, are we better off motivating ourselves with a positive vision of a reward that we want to enjoy or a consequence that we are desperate to avoid? And we actually had a great conversation with this in a recent group meeting of members of the Wayless program who know a thing or two about motivation and rewards and also consequences, and they had a lot to add. So I want to just give a shout out to our sailing club members because their input really formulated, helped me formulate a lot of my thoughts about this. But I've noticed that I was just kind of looking around to see what examples of motivation we see in our culture. And I noticed there's a real mix. So we have this whole history of behavioral campaigns, at least here in the United States, mm-hmm. to get kids to not smoke, anti-tobacco camp campaigns, mm-hmm. anti-drug campaigns. We have those here in Canada as well, and I'm pretty sure I've seen them in the UK. Yeah, and but I noticed that they seem to lean really heavily on this idea of avoiding negative consequences, you know, sort of mm-hmm. scare tactics to frighten kids. So the ads will feature really graphic depictions of the some of the most serious consequences of smoking in the form of people who have suffered these consequences. It's, you know, it's yeah. sort of intentionally shocking and upsetting. But then on the other hand, you know, I see a lot of ads for um, like retirement investment companies, you know, where you can put your money in a 401k or whatever. And these seem to lean very heavily on the rewards. You know, they always have these pictures of this handsome couple with silver hair, you know, walking on a beach together or golfing or, you know, standing on the the deck of their lake house or something. That's all, you know, we don't see impoverished older people (laughs) um, advertising for the uh, 401k companies. But it just got me wondering whether some of this has to do with the category of thing, you know, does consequence-based motivation work better for health and reward-based motivation work better for money? Is there something there? Well, and it's interesting, I guess, using things like commercials or advertisements in general, they're not necessarily trying to motivate a behavior or that behavior of actually saving for retirement or actually not, I don't know, purchasing the cigarettes. They're trying to sell their product. Mm. So I think the the motivation behind some of the the messaging that we see is a lot more complex than than just connecting it to the behaviors that we want people to be uh, adopting or or moving towards in this podcast or in our coaching careers. They're actually trying to just sell the burrito or mm. sell the, no, good point. The, the retirement savings plan or or something like that. So so it definitely there is so much nuance. And I want to just sort of reiterate, too, in, in the intro to this, and, and Monica sort of just said right now, that it really would be easy to just say that one's positive and one's negative. And that like one is about beating yourself up and the other one's about like celebrating something. And that while that may be true, that's not that's not what we want you to take away from this, because it's not like one is right and one is wrong, or one's going to get you a better outcome than the other, just because they're a, a negative feeling kind of a, a like the consequence is is often a negative consequence doesn't mean it's the wrong way to do it or the wrong way to motivate yourself because it it can work for sure but i think that's a, a really important thing that we want you guys to 
to grasp during this conversation. Yeah, we're not leading you to a certain conclusion. Um, mm-hmm. where this is really kind of an open-ended conversation um, that I think we could all benefit just from exploring and thinking a little bit how we individually respond to those different kinds mm-hmm. of stimuli. I'm, Are you a glass half full, glass half empty kind of person? Exactly, <laughs> that could be the... exactly. It, there may be a lot of this that has to do with our personality or just kind of our worldview. You know, if you are kind of a pessimist and you tend to see negative outcomes as being a whole lot more likely, then maybe avoiding negative outcomes is going to be more motivating for you. And if you are that glass half full person and you always assume that things are going to go, you know, better than you hope, then then maybe uh, attaining a positive outcome is going to be what's going to keep you fired up. So some of this, I think, is you know, knowing ourselves. Yeah. And also like our, our past experiences and our behaviors and stuff really lead us towards this kind of stuff. Like, you know, you always sort of hear about the near death experiences or people who have like had a type of cancer or something and, and beat it and, and they'll come out of that. And I'm speaking from experience here. I had an infection in my heart that threatened to take me down back in 2003. And when I got through that, I was fired up. I was going to change my life. I was going to live my life right. Mm -hmm. And everything was like, because I wanted to avoid ever having that situation happen to me again. But you know what? It eventually kind of faded. Like we, as that experience of being in the hospital and having the respirators and everything sort of faded into, into my memory, it's, stopped being a motivation that fear or that avoiding that ever happening again sort of faded so in my own lifetime it actually changed from being like a great motivator to to be avoiding a consequence to now i find myself to be much more of maybe i've become more of a glass half full kind of person as a result of that experience or maybe i've just matured or changed a little bit but in any case I definitely I definitely have identified in myself that there was a switch in the way that I can motivate myself. Yeah, and and that comes down to that self-awareness and listening a little bit to our self-talk and and how we are responding to it, for sure. And I think it may be a sort of a mix. We may have some things that we feel we're highly motivated to avoid a consequence and other things the reward is more motivating. So when we're talking about things that we want people to to go and work on, we tend to give action-oriented kind of things, kind of like our lab mm-hmm. experiments always involve some sort of action. And often those avoiding consequence things are more of not doing something rather than doing something. Good point. And, and that can definitely be a personality trait as well. But when it comes down to, let's say, making your to-do list for the day, it's a lot easier to put something like, I don't know, clean your kitchen drawers out on the to-do list rather than stop messing up the kitchen drawers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sure, you could put that on your to-do list, but you'd have to do that every single day. And eventually you probably just stop putting it on or or check it off automatically because, of course, I'm not messing up my kitchen drawers. So sometimes even if it is about avoiding a consequence, taking that and turning it into a positive action or something that you can actually do or achieve or check off of a list can actually make it a lot more motivating. And I think that actually gets into just the choice of language that we use. So we're not necessarily changing what we're trying to achieve, but we're changing the way that we're that we're wording it, the way that we're thinking about it from from passive to active, I guess. 
Right. And from, yeah, not taking a negative action to taking a positive one. And we know from the science of habit formation that you're much more likely to be successful in breaking a habit that you want to break if you consciously and actively replace that behavior with a different behavior mm. rather than just try to sit on your hands and not <laughs> do something. You want to think about what am I going to do instead during the time or in the circumstances that that old behavior tends to assert itself. Let me give myself a replacement for that. I have a, an example from my own life. I realized uh, probably a couple of years ago that I was putting on my to-do list on nights when I really wanted to get a good sleep. I was putting on my to-do list all the things that I know that I need to avoid or not do in order to set myself up for a good sleep. Things like don't snack after dinner, no alcoholic beverages in the evening or any time during the day, no television after 9 p.m., no devices after 9 p.m. And it really, that list started to feel oppressive and actually made me want to rebel against it, which mm. we hear from our listeners and our, our coaching clients quite often when there are too many rules in place that inner rebel comes out. Sure, the prohibitions, right? Yeah. So instead, I found that if I just put get a good night's sleep on my to-do list, I know what that means. I know what mm -hmm. criteria need to be filled for that, but that actually was a positive thing that I could look at and go, yeah, I want to get I a good want night's that. sleep. That yeah. sounds great. Instead yeah. of, oh, I can't watch TV after 9 p.m. and no snacks. Uh, it's uh, it's just an interesting mind game that you can play with yourself to get you to the same outcome. So we've been sharing a lot of kind of personal experience, experience that we've had in the, the anecdotal evidence from the people that we work with and our own kind of thoughts. But we also do like to think a little bit or look look into what the science has to say on questions like that and mm -hmm. allow that to also influence our our thoughts and our views on this. And science does have a few things to say about rewards and consequences. Absolutely. Our, our shared friend, the savvy psychologist on the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, um, did an episode, oh, it's a couple of years ago about shame and how, mm -hmm. how shame actually doesn't work as a way to to create positive change in your life. And I did a, a deep dive after I heard that episode because the people that we deal with in, in the weight loss space or in the fitness space try to shame themselves into making these these changes a lot. There's a, an awful lot of beating ourselves up or or thinking that if we just like are hard enough on ourselves that we'll actually actually change. But psychologists have known for years that shame is not an effective tool for change. In fact, shame often results in <laughs> creating some efforts to actually hide that behavior or start doing it oh. clandestinely. And then it actually can spur on even more of that kind of behavior. Sure. And some of that I kind of feel like almost ties in with using the consequence version of this. If if we're if we're attaching emotionally to that consequence, or even more than emotionally, I guess as a mor morality, like it's if mm -hmm. we're bringing in that you're a virtuous person, if you or can, a worthy person or right. a worthy person, yeah. So so that would be the something kind of interesting that came up in in psychology studies about human behavior. It's just you can use that consequence side of things, but. If you start to feel like it might be based in shame or some sort of a, a self, 
I don't want to say loathing because that's a, a very strong word, but that sort of a feeling, then maybe rethink it and try to try to turn it into a more positive sort of a spin. And I uncovered a couple of interesting little tidbits on sort of the behavioral aspects of this. And that was that research suggests that it's easier for us to see the negative consequences of an action when we're watching other people's choices than it is when we're looking at our own behavior. And I was thinking a lot about the campaigns to keep people from texting while they're driving. And when you interview Mm. people, everyone will say like, oh, this is a terrible idea. Nobody should be texting while they're driving because people can't be safe. They can't be safe drivers when they're texting. Except for me. Except for me. <laughs> but they will still do it because somewhere in the back of their heads, they feel like, well, I'm good for it. I can I can manage it yeah. or just this once or something. And so they, they clearly see what a bad idea it is when they see other people doing it um, and then somehow bracket their own <laughs> behavior and under uh, underestimate the risk to themselves. It's interesting. So that might suggest that if we're trying to motivate other people to change and, you know, right there, that's a little bit dangerous because Mm. that's maybe only something that parents and maybe public health officials want to want to try to do. I think usually it's hard to get other people to change. But if we were trying to get other people to change, um, we might be more inclined to emphasize the negative because we see that so clearly, Mm -hmm. but they're going to assume that that negative won't apply to them. So maybe it'd be more effective in that case to emphasize the reward of taking the action that we want them to take. And, you know, maybe on the flip side of that, we need to be aware of our own cognitive bias and not be so quick to assume that, no, we will not suffer the consequences of our own poor choices. And I know that you found some research also around it being maybe an evolutionary kind of thing that happened to us humans. Uh, yeah, this was interesting. And um, uh, I have to give credit to, there was a really good article in the Harvard Business Review that re- summarized a lot of this research. And um, let's make sure to put a link to that in our show notes in case anybody oh, yeah. wants to go back to the source material, because they also linked to some of the primary research. But apparently, neuroscience has found that rewards are more likely to motivate people to take action but consequences are more effective in motivating people to refrain from taking a specific action. And, and uh. they assume that this is sort of a, an evolutionary trait. So let me just actually quote from the article because they said it really well. The, the author says, to reap rewards in life, whether it's a piece of cherry pie or a promotion, we usually need to take action. And so our brain has evolved to accommodate an environment in which often the best way to get a reward is to take action. But to avoid bad things, say poison, (laughs) deep water, untrustworthy people, we usually need to just stay put to not reach out. And so our brain has, in that case, evolved to accommodate an environment in which often the best way to not get hurt is to avoid action altogether. So... That's an interesting explanation that might be based on evolution, but I just have to point out that not taking action can obviously lead to some pretty negative consequences. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, our evolutionary responses are, are not necessarily serving us in the modern day. But, you know, knowledge is power, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that really brings us back to where we started this, where there is no right or wrong answer. Even if we take what you just said from the Harvard Business Review and we apply that to my example of my to-do list of not doing anything fun in the evening versus getting a good sleep, 
both ways apply in in their sort of evolutionary look at things. It's not like I was doing it wrong mm. one way and right the other way. Just one feels better in my brain based on my evolutionary bias, I guess, in, in some ways. And actually, you know, it, it reminds me of a, a comment that we got from one of our one of our waylassers, <laughs> one of the people in our waylass program. That's probably a better way to, to phrase it. Drew actually said, he said, the challenge for him is balancing running from and running to. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thing. He said, when it comes to his weight, for example, I am more frightened and running from than I am hopeful and running to. Mm. I do run to, but when the chips are down, the frums trump the twos, in <laughs> his case anyway. But this is the interesting part. He said, running to is more likely when I'm on a roll. Now, when, when his progress stalls, the running from kicks in. Interesting. Yeah. So he's basically got both of those aspects of things going on, not simultaneously, but it seems like he just sort of, he can fluctuate back and forth between the two in whatever situation is going to whatever situation has created itself or whatever situation he needs to solve. Or whatever he's going to find most useful. Yeah. That flexibility. That really, to me, drives home the fact that there really is no right or wrong answer here. But having the astuteness and having the self-awareness and having the ability to feel how that reward or that consequence or whatever you've set up for yourself to get you to your compelling objective or your ultimate objective, your ideal self, whatever whatever you're headed towards, having that awareness is really, really a handy, handy tool. Yeah, it might start with just noticing whether you are running from or running to in any number of circumstances or situations. But, you know, I think whether your motivation for a specific objective is a reward or a consequence, either way, I think that the more specific and detailed a picture you have mm. of this, the more compelling it's likely to be. So, you know, just a really vague reward, like be healthy, or a really vague consequence, like not be healthy, (laughs) is is probably not going to put a lot of wind in your sails. And so you want to really spend some time drawing yourself a picture of what the future that you want to create will look, feel, smell, taste like, or what the absence will of that future will look, smell, feel, and taste like so that it can serve you. Absolutely. So let me just sort of summarize my takeaways from from what we just discussed. I think the first thing, obviously, is that there is no clear winner here. There is no wrong way to do this as much as there is no right way to do this. It's just knowing the difference and trying each one on for size is the that's the really important part. And then no matter which version you feel works best for you, make sure that you develop that clear and detailed picture of that reward or of that consequence. And finally, be aware of the language that you choose when you are working on developing and solidifying that behavior. Performing an action can often be more achievable than not performing one, but you know, try changing it the other way around and see how it feels and and look at the language that you're you're using on yourself. That can be really key. Yeah, I think um, as is so often the case, this week's lab experiment will really bring this home for you and, you know, give you some some personal insight into how this applies to you. So here it is. Here's your lab experiment. First, I want you to just state 
for the sake of the exercise, your compelling reason, your why for making the change or a change that you want to make. And then pay attention to whether that is based around a reward or a consequence. But before you lock it in, I want you to just, whichever it is, turn it around and see if you can restate it as the opposite and give each version, you know, a little time to breathe and then consider which one feels more motivating to you or perhaps more calming, more satisfying, or more doable in the long run, more sustainable. I can't wait to hear from you about these lab experiments. I think this is going to be really, really interesting work. Yeah. So make sure that you share with us. You can find us, like we said earlier, on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash change ACPOD. We're also changeacpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can connect with us there. And of course, make sure you've subscribed to this podcast because you probably noticed over the last few weeks, it's summer and we've been taking a couple of little vacations. So the episodes aren't coming out super regularly, but if you are subscribed, you will get them as soon as they come out, no matter what. And finally, you can go over to changeacademypodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. And the great thing about the newsletter is it lets you know when there's episodes out and any sort of special events or whatever. But if you want to connect with us, you can just hit the reply button and you will get one of us for sure. Not a automated service, not somebody else. You'll get one of us. Yeah. And actually starting last time, we've added a new little goodie to the newsletter. When we send out the announcement about each new episode, we actually include a downloadable copy of that week's lab experiment. So you'll have it for Mm -hmm. future reference. You can fill it out online uh, or just even see it in writing so that you don't have to scribble down notes while you're listening. So if that would be helpful for you uh, in, in doing your lab experiments, then hop on over there and click the subscribe button so that we can have that to you with each episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye bye. All right, everybody, remember your lab experiment all about reward versus consequence. Thanks for coming.